sing. <laughs> la 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 Yeah. You're listening to the SBNY podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy and I am your host. The Sports Blog New York podcast is on iTunes, Apple Podcast app, Google Play, SoundCloud, and of course on sportsblognewyork.com. If you like what you've been hearing, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this fine program on iTunes or Apple Podcast app. Thank you, as always, for coming in to listen. And hopefully, you guys listen to me and my co-host last week, because Mike Palmasano, who's joining me right now, him and I both were 3-1 and one last week in the divisional round. So, Mike, cha-ching, are you feeling good about yourself right now? Cha-ching. You hear that? It's the sound of making monies, but it's also the sound of my Steelers just shit in the bed. It was It was terrible. It was probably the worst game I've ever watched for them in the last decade, I'd say. It was bizarre, dude. It was really bizarre. It was like, you know, everyone's saying if the Jaguars are going to win this game, they have to get out ahead early. You know, it's like the Jaguars don't, they're not a good come from behind team. If they get out ahead early, it's going to be scary. Oh, what do the Jaguars do? Get ahead early. But then the Steelers start screaming back all of a sudden, but just couldn't. They couldn't get over the hump. Like, how, how hard was it for you to watch that game? You know, I said my play um, were Steelers and the under. I didn't think that the Jaguars were really going to have a chance against the Steelers' defense. But the Farrell Lions could have scored on the Steelers' defense this past weekend. It was They, were, they weren't existent. Shout out, Farrell There was no, no pass rush. The, the secondary really played awful. There was no disciplined linebackers. Just you know, they, they didn't cover the tight ends. It looked like the Jaguars had a game plan, and the Steelers had – one one mindset that once that was broke, they couldn't rebound. And it took them, you know, if you score 42 points in a playoff game, you should win 10 out of 10 times, three times on Sunday. And they gave up 45, which is crazy, which is crazy. But it don't matter. They hit a tease. I had them plus six, a little backdoor cover, always back, locked the back doors. <laughs> and I wanted to pit the tease on, so it's all right. Well, I'm happy you hit that tease. I'm ho- hoping that at least covered up some of the other stuff. But, I mean, uh, if you if you listen to yourself, which I can't say that I did, uh, for some reason, Mike, me, like me, you, and Phil, we do these picks on, like, Wednesday or Thursday night, whatever it is. And sometimes by Saturday or Sunday, you know, either my mind's changed or, you know, I made the pick and I'm not super confident enough to just, like, actually bet on it. I just kind of made the pick. And then I don't, I don't always listen to myself. And the weeks I do listen to myself are the weeks I go one and three. And now I go three and one. And what game do I actually pick? I picked the Steelers as my lock. Like, that was the one I was most confident in outside of the Patriots. And I, I just shake, I shake my head at myself, you know? It drives me mad. But that's okay because these listeners here of the SBNY podcast, they didn't know what I actually did. They know what I said on this podcast. And what me and you both said, we were a little nervous that we agreed on all four picks. But it worked out for us because when you're right, great you're minds. Right, right? Great minds. So, you know, we hit with the Saints on the cover. Like you said, a little backdoor cover action. They almost had the backdoor win. I'm sure we'll talk about that game in a minute. And oh, then yeah. Patriots straight domination, like we said, rule of thumb. Saw that coming. Don't bet against the Patriots. And then the Eagles, keeping it close like Ooh. we thought and actually sneaking the damn one out. Besides the Steelers-Jaguars, Mike, uh, what shocked you the most this weekend? Um, what shocked me the most was the end of the Saints-Vikings game. Well, let's say, uh, let's say besides crazy. that, because we're going to get that to that in a minute. That, that was oh, absolutely geez. wild. So besides that. Um, so... If we'll get just a, a bit granular, I would say how the Eagles were able to uh, to to hold off um, and and wind up coming back to win that game. At first, I'm watching it, and you know, you know, I like the Eagles, 
I didn't like the smell of that home dog. Um, and at first, I'm like, oh, boy, this is, you know, they, they fumbled uh, the first drive. Um, they muffed the punt. I was like, they got the Jettas, man. This is, you know, they're not, re- they're not ready for the playoffs. Foles looked horrible. That first ball he threw downfield was, was quacking. I was like, that's a real bad start. But they settled down. They settled in. And they wound up, you know, shocking me a little bit because I thought, you know, I didn't think they had sort of chance come second half. And, and sure enough, sure enough, they uh, they wound up pulling it off. So uh, it was a slight shock there. The Pats, you know, we knew. Even though they went down uh, 7 nothing, we knew they were going to come back. Steelers giving up the 45 points, shocking. And, and that, that Vikings-Saints game is, uh, boy, that was something to watch. That was something to watch. That was so absurd, the end of that game. I mean, the Saints almost, you, you could almost argue, like this was going to be my shocking thing, was that the Saints came back in the first place. Like they were almost handed that game at, at some points. Like it, it really didn't feel as if the Saints were going to really make a push until... Well, the game was the second half. Yeah. The whole game was the second half. The first half was irrelevant, basically, by the time you watched the end of the game. And I was so impressed with Drew, like Drew Brees, and it was kind of what I was just hoping for. I was like, this is a year for Brees to make a run. Case Keenum, like, shout out to you. You're working your ass off, but it ain't your year. Like, I don't know. You're going to be on the Jets next year or something like that. But this was Drew Brees' year, and he made the Drew Brees drive, brought him back down. Michael Thomas takes over the second half as well that was fantastic and then for it to end the way it did it was absolutely absurd so mike i'm gonna give you the floor for a second you have any words for the poor man named marcus williams uh marcus when you listen to this probably um you know on your drive to the to the locker room to get your stuff tomorrow so i think they you know they probably cleaned it out this weekend i know you got there a little early Next time, just just tackle him or stay back. You know, I I I, I watch it. You know, we watch it so many times. I watch it Titanic music. I've watched it with a, a trillion different calls. And you know, the the one common theme of the the actual play is that he got there, you know, half a second too early, and it looked like he was trying to hold up, and he put his head down. I just, you know, I'm trying to think what I would do in that situation, and maybe you know he didn't want to take the penalty and put them in field goal range because he would have been a goat then too, but. You know, I I would just say don't worry about it, but he's not he's not going to get the end of that for a long time. So I don't know. What would you say? Because I'm not really giving that great advice to him. I'm, I'm I feel pretty bad for him right now. I, you know, I was actually I was, that's the direction I was going to go in. I like I feel horrible for this guy. I mean, I I could I could give like a little story on like a super not equal level, I guess, uh, about myself. Like in a high school playoff game, varsity level, like, I know that's obviously nothing like this. Like, I I was a guy who made, like, a, a block in the back on, like, a 50-yard touchdown. And, like, you know, it still is a knife in the heart every time it comes up in my head or in conversation with my buddies, you know? So it, Was it actually a block in the back? Oh, absolutely get, get not. I've watched the film a thousand times. But besides the point, it was a block in the back because it got called a block in the back. Like, it is just, like, ugh. That wasn't even at the end of the game, but – it hurts. It's like a speechless type of situation. Like I imagine myself as his teammate, like wanting to comfort him, but also just being like, dude, but also probably giving in, trying to do whatever I can to make this guy not hate himself. Like that, that's where I'm at. Like I'm trying to make this guy not hate himself as much as possible. Got to feel for you know, him. You look at, you know, what are they doing with two linebackers on the field? First of all, you know, there was no, you know, they should have had a couple more, a couple more corners on there. Uh, you know, the whole play looked kind of, kind of fugazi to begin with, and then 
And Stefan Diggs, well, first of all, the catch was great. You know, you can't discount the catch. And staying in bounds. Um, Goddamn. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Just really an amazing play all around. And I think that's what makes the division week, the divisional round, the, the, the best week in football because you get four games. They're a little better than the, the previous week's wild card games. And you just, you know, you never know. You know, there was two games there, the Steeler game and the Jaguars, where the Jaguars, you know, shocked everyone. Um, and then the Saints uh, followed everyone, and the Vikings followed everyone again, you know, shocking everyone even more. It was just, you know, it was a crazy weekend. It's probably, you know, football has been up and down this year, uh, competition-wise, but this is by far, you know, you get down to those last eight teams, and it, you know, really shows that there is some good top-heavy competition. I, I, I tend to agree. I think some of these teams are real talented. Now, I have two different theories I've been kicking around kind of all year on the podcast, off the podcast, uh, one of which I've, I think I've definitely talked about with you. So I'll start with that one, and I think it's as evident as ever in this playoffs. You know, I've been trying to kick around this theory about quarterbacks, right? Everyone's like, it's a quarterback's league, it's a quarterback's league, and I get that, and to the, a certain extent, I agree. But I've been saying it for, for months now. It's like I'm watching these quarterbacks who are not – the cream of the crop, the Case Keenum, and I guess the Blake Bortles. I'm not going to throw Nick Foles in there because he's actually a guy who just started playing a couple weeks ago. Um, but I, I was basically thinking all year long, it's like you don't need to be the best at quarterback. You need to be competent at quarterback and then good in other places in order to succeed. And I was listing examples like the Vikings and obviously now the Jaguars. But then the more you think about it, there are some things missing from this year's playoffs. Aaron Rodgers. Andrew Luck, Russell Wilson. Uh, I mean, and like a guy like Deshaun Watson and Carson Wentz, if you want to count them. So, on one hand, I'm trying to think about how you know a run game matters. The defense obviously is winning playoff games right now. In the case of the Vikings, and I guess the Jaguars have a defense, even though they gave 40 points, whatever. Besides the point, I don't think I feel as strongly about my theory now because I think the Patriots are going to win with Tom Brady. I don't know if I just gave away my pick or not, but I think I think in the playoffs it comes back to the quarterback being that piece. So that all year I was kicking around this theory that maybe the quarterback's not as, poor, as as important as I thought, but now I'm just thinking that Aaron Rodgers was hurt, Russell Wilson's offense was trash, Andrew Luck was hurt, and maybe that's the only damn reason Mariota, Bortles, Keenum, and all these guys even had a chance in the first place to make the playoffs. Where, where do you land on all the, this stuff here? Yeah. You know, I, I'll separate it into the two leagues. The AFC, it's just, you know, I'm I'm curious to see if the the Jaguars can somewhat slow down the Patriots. I mean, the offense of the Steelers is definitely more dynamic, uh, and they 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 can put up as many points as you saw. You know, they were able to put up 42 points. Do the Patriots have that much explosion? You know, the, the Jaguars' defense are better fit against the Patriots. You know, from that standpoint, I'm kind of curious to find out. Um, you know, the, the pass rush, getting to Brady. You know, the Steelers had no pass rush against the Jaguars or against the Patriots this year. You know, it was just, you know, there was really, that's one of their big things. So, well, I'm curious to see that. With that being said, the AFC 7th Street uh, Conference title games for the Patriots, I don't think it matters who plays the Pats. I just think they're they're doing something incredibly amazing that we'll never see again. Move over to the other side, the NFC. I think you have a healthy Rodgers. The Packers will win that division every year. I think it's just you know, he's the best quarterback, talent-wise, we'll ever see. And I and and 
please note that I don't think that he's necessarily a better quarterback than Brady and, and Manning. I just think that uh, that he, you know, the things he does, you know, he's just an athlete. He's the best athletic quarterback that, as of right now, I've ever seen and we might ever see. Then you move to the Russell Wilsons of the world, you know, are the, the Seahawks just as a team, are they trending down? Or, you know, is Russell Wilson still going to be able to do it? I don't know. Um, I think the NFC is definitely more of a quarterback. And the healthy quarterbacks are able to, to go forward, even though Matt Ryan and Drew Brees got eliminated. You know, I think those are just kind of, you know, the Eagles with Carson Wentz would have beaten the Falcons and uh, Matt Ryan because uh, Nick Foles did, and Drew Brees and the Saints lost on a, a real fluky play. So I, I still think you're going to want to build around the quarterback, and I, you know, I like to see the 49ers as the team, you know, maybe Garoppolo puts them over the hump and they can compete in the NFC West, you know? That'd be exciting. Um, yeah, you know, um, I, I think it's the different leagues are, are different teams, you know? I think the Patriots are the team to beat and you have to really focus on the defense. So I'd like to see the Jaguars maybe put up a fight. NFC, I think it's so much balance and there's not really that one team, as you could see year to year, that it's always different. And I think that's where you need the better quarterback competition. I hear that. So you're kind of on the on the same side of the fence that I just kind of rejoined, I guess, because I was trying to fight against the quarterback, the the best quarterback wins no matter what, that the quarterback's the be all end all, and this whole thing. I was tr- like trying to figure out ways to fight against it, like fight against it this entire year, and now in a playoffs where all these not great quarterbacks are are still in, you know, you you would think that that's the the perfect example to prove my argument correct, but for some reason I'm having a lot of pushback on it, like I'm. Like I'm having a lot of internal pushback, and I think it's because, like, think about um, Mariota and the Titans, right? I think Colin Cowherd said this today. I was listening to him. He was like, if Andrew Luck was playing and not and not hurt this year. Colin Kaepernick or Ka- Colin uh, Cowherd? Uh, Colin Cowherd. Did I say Kaepernick? I was going to say, where did you listen to Colin Kaepernick? Did I say Kaepernick? I, I said Kaepernick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Freudian slip, I guess, maybe. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> Colin Cowherd oh, was saying funny. today about – you know, the Titans, right? They made the playoffs nine and seven. If they had to face Andrew Luck twice this year instead of sweeping the Colts, like say they split and then boom, they're not in the playoffs. Like mm-hmm. it's hard to put a lot of value into Mariota's playoff run and Tyrod freaking Taylor was in the playoffs and now Bortles even the same thing. Like you throw Watson back in there and the Texans are a, a playoff contender. You throw Luck and Aaron Rodgers and, and all these guys throw throw a whole wrench into the situation. So what, what I was seeing all year with my eyes was deceiving me because there was big pieces of the puzzle missing, the big pieces of the NFL puzzle missing. So I don't know if that makes sense, but I'm actually, after all year, I'm kind of back on the get that, get that well, damn stud quarterback. <laughs> last week you said something on the podcast that you know I thought about into the weekend and just in general – um, and it was, if you look at the teams and just look at the quarterback matchups, you know, Brady versus Mariota, Ben versus Bortles, Foles versus Ryan and, uh, uh, Keenan versus Breeze. It's like, okay, you know, from a quarterback standpoint, we know who's going to win these games. And the three out of those four big quarterbacks lost those games. So, so, you know, now it's kind of put your brain in a pretzel. It's like, yeah, it's a quarterback's league, but you know the the better quarterbacks. You know the we probably just need of of those uh, eight quarterbacks, five are probably in the top, uh, you know, top six, seven ish, you know, give or take. Right. That you you know if you, you have to you know rank them throughout the so. Is is it the one game? You know, any given Sunday theory, 
you know, maybe. Is it, you know, just you know, the way those games played out? I mean, you had two fluky games, uh, and I mean, then you, you had say, really just, you know, you know I, I don't know. It's, it's Wait, hold on, though. You, you could say in the Steelers game, if, they were, if, if football was a five-quarter game, like the Steelers were winning that game. Unfortunately, it's not. And, but right, and like I know, is, I know it's yeah. like a it's like a moot point. But isn't that like super fair to say? Yeah, and you know, I guess to that, you know, watching the game, where there's some questionable coaching decisions that maybe could have gave the Steelers that one last opportunity to come down and score and not score. Yeah, you know, maybe was it you know the, between the uh, the interceptions and the scoop and score, there were a lot of you know ways that the the Steelers just gave up points, but they were going to kept on scoring, you know. Which, you know, quick sidebar, do you think it's weird that they fired Todd Haley? Or is it, as an outside looking in, you know, they, they upgraded, they, up, they promoted the quarterback's coach, Randy uh, It makes perfect uh, sense. Fitchner, you know. To, it, ma- you know it makes perfect sense. by Roethlisberger. And this is, this is why it makes perfect sense here. Mike Tomlin, it's kind of like, I'm trying to think of an analogy here. But basically, it's like, get rid of Todd Haley, because there's reason to get rid of him right now. And that has this refreshing feeling in the organization. It's like, ooh, now we got a new coordinator, new offense. Maybe Ben Roethlisberger will be happier if he didn't get along with Haley. And then Tomlin just buys himself some time. Because I think there's reason to believe that Tomlin isn't as comfortable as he was one year ago, two years 100%. ago, three years ago. 100%. Even though I think he should still be relatively comfortable. Uh, I don't think he is as comfortable as he used to be. And a move like that screams, I'm not as comfortable as I used to be. This guy's not helping my case. Let's get rid of him and refresh for a little bit. So it makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, you know, it's it's you know, historically it's not the Steelers' way to go get rid of coaches. Uh, he's pretty well liked, Tomlin, even though, you know, for the first time ever, I feel like he he didn't have control of the locker room. There was so much patriot talk and you know just a lot of a lot of shit talk from the the Steelers, who you know they lost to the Jaguars at home twice this year. It's not you know it's not saying a lot about you know about a team ready to you know. You want to say they played down, whatever. You know, they're home twice against the Jaguars. They got to beat them. They got to beat them at least once. And they lost regular season and postseason. You know, I thought Tomlin, if he would have got fired, I thought that would have been a little aggressive. But, I, I, you know, for a team that put up 42 points in the playoff game and then you go you go out your offensive coordinator, it just, to me, I think it's a move to appease Ben, who, you know, all of a sudden wants to stay three years. You know, uh, last year he was saying how he wanted to retire. Now he wants to be the Iron Man. You know, he's... He's a little baby sometimes. I gotta say, he's just bitches and moans. And he got Todd Haley fired, whether they had a bad relationship or not. You know, this is the last coordinator he'll get before he retires, and Tomlin's on his way out. They gotta get into a Super Bowl quick, and you know, they might even lose Le'Veon Bell, and then, you know, now your chances are even down. So, and but ben, that's, ben that's, that's my that's all I'll say he, on the Steelers, and I'll uh, digress there. Doesn't he like block everybody on Twitter that says anything not good about him? He's a baby. He's honestly <laughs> like he's my you know he's such a great he's a star quarterback. Uh, you know, I sometimes I hate rooting for him. Sometimes it's just a pain in the ass to root for. Hey, I hear you. Um, yeah, I will. We'll see what happens to Le'Veon Bell. I think that's going to be interesting. We're definitely going to be talking about that in the future. But I think it's time for us to get into these games coming up this weekend. So quickly to read the spreads out. We got the Patriots at home. They're given seven and a half currently. If I had to guess, by game time, this might just be a straight seven. Could possibly see it going up, but likely I see it going down to seven for some reason. I think the Jaguars are going to get more respect um, than expe- than expected, I guess. More respect than expected. And it might go down to seven. But it's seven and a half right now, so that's where we're going off of. And then the Vikings at the Eagles. 
Oh. Yes, Vikings at the Eagles. Eagles are plus three. They're home dogs yet again. Um, so, Mike, I have Phil's picks. Should we? We'll do Phil's picks at the end. So we're not, you know, okay. We're not pushed okay. by his thought or reasoning. So we'll, we'll we'll read his picks at the end. So, Mike, I'll give it to you first, though. Jacksonville at Patriots. Patriots minus seven and a half currently. Who do you like? Uh, so the line opened at nine uh, on uh, on Sunday or. Uh, when Monday morning, whenever the the books opened, uh, and and it's down a point and a half now, seven and a half. I'm really hoping that it goes down to seven, and then to six and a half, and then to six, because like like I said last week, if you're the guy who bets against the Patriots and then winds up losing, you're gonna be really upset at yourself. And I just I can't I can't bet against the past. I just you know, as you know, as much as I'm interested to see the uh, you know the Jags. Defense, I think that the Pats, I think they're going to be able to cover, uh, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten points. I think this is going to be the same old Pats. I think it's going to be same old AFC representative in the Super Bowl. Um, I like to see the Jaguars, you know, shut them down for a little bit, maybe a low-scoring game for once. But, uh, you know, this Pats, you know, as much as I'd like to see the Patriots lose, I actually dislike the Jaguars a little more than the Pats right now. So let's, let's we'll go. Uh, uh, I'll go with the line, even though I'd buy the hook. I, you know, Seven and a half, I'll, I'll, take, I'll give that. I like that. And I think uh-huh. uh, hopefully, you know, even if it stays at seven and a half, the reasonable better out there will buy it at least to seven points. I always say, you know, buy to that round number, especially in football, get to seven if it's over. But um, me and you have a general rule of thumb with the Patriots. But before I get to that, uh, probably tipping my pick anyway, but who cares? So I saw some stuff today um, via Twitter and via radio the comparison of Blake Bortles to Eli Manning. Obviously, it becomes an easier comparison thinking about how Tom Coughlin is one of the people who runs the Jaguars. Tom Coughlin, Eli Manning, Blake Bortles, blah, 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 right? So apparently Bortles' numbers next to Eli Manning in those first couple years for his first Super Bowl, a lot more similar than Giants fans want to hear. Obviously, most Giant fans will be defensive and say, no way, Eli was better than Bortles, not even close, yada, yada, yada. I, I kind of believe it. I get the comparison. I think Eli was very timely. He was clutch. He wasn't as erratic quite as Blake Bortles, like erratic looking, because Blake seems to miss like easy, easy throws sometimes. But. Yeah, yeah. you know, I, I guess I could see it. Um, you know, it's, he's got to win the big game first. Right. You know, as a Giants fan, I wonder if, if that, insults them a little bit it does Um, it doesn't insult me but it does insult people and that's what i was going to get to so the giants beat the patriots right how pass rush everyone knows this we've been talking about it for years if you listen to dave rothenberg ever it comes up maybe like once a week on his show but (laughs) the giants beat the patriots twice they had that little formula with the sick pass rush and getting to tom brady making him uncomfortable getting the rush up the middle specifically um and the jaguars have that skill set they have that personnel they have that ability but when it comes to the damn New England Patriots, and remember that whole magazine article about them not liking each other? Yeah, people aren't sure. ta- people aren't talking about that too much anymore, right? Well, there's not to talk about it anymore. But now, what are they talking about, Mister Mike Palmazano? Tom Brady's uh, that little, thumb, that little hand injury, that little yeah. hand injury, yeah. Doesn't bother me at all. I'm riding the Patriots like no matter what. <laughs> That's uh, I just wanted to bring up the thumb, so I made sure I acknowledged it, and yeah. I'm literally you know not bothered uh, at all by it. it. I um, you know the Patriots are are notorious for being the team that 
can beat you in the air, throwing on the ball 50 times or, or putting it on the ground all game. And um, I wouldn't be shocked if, if the running backs score three, four touchdowns this game for the sheer fact that the Pats pass, I mean, the Jaguars pass rush is going to be looking to knock him down. Brady, they're going to be trying to make him comfortable, tighten that pocket. What's uh, no better way to stop the pass rush than just you know, running right by him. So um, I, I look for the Patriots to control the ball and, and, and run a little bit this game. Um, and then, you know, use that to, you know, play action and, and open up the passing game a little bit. I think there's going to be that moment in the first half where either a big sack happens or maybe even an interception. Wouldn't really shock me too much. Like Brady say he gets hit, throws a bad ball up in the air, gets intercepted. I, I see that moment happening, though, where the Patriots just get, like, pinned up against the wall real quick. Either a big uh, run by Fernetta or whoever uh, is running the ball for them a lot. Um, or maybe Bortles freaking sneaks out for a 30-yard run. Like I, I see it happening in the first half. I see them maybe even taking a lead, but then I see the clenches just come down from the Patriots, and the second half is the Patriots game. Like even if the I, I'll be comfortable down with the Patriots down 10 at halftime for them to still cover seven points. Yeah, you know, um, playoffs come. I you know, I like to you know really get exotic with my my gambling. The uh, you know, my, my Steeler bet, minus seven, uh, I lost that because I wound up, uh, you know, just taking that straight. But I wound up covering it uh, with a little Antonio Brown over five and a half catches. That was my prop bet that I took. Frisky. And I wound up, uh, yeah, I, you know what, I just looked at it, I knew he was hurt. But I just figured, you know, if he's going to be playing in the game, they're going to be throwing the ball. And and I just, you know, I went with my gut. Seven catches I think he had so he had a by catch and a half this week's prop bet I'm going to be looking at maybe a little um Deion Lewis one and a half rushing touchdown maybe a little James White rushing yards you know look for the running backs because you know maybe a couple passes out of the backfield because I think they're going to be utilizing that a lot this uh this week you can also imagine the Jaguars kind of keying in on that one guy who happens to be like bigger faster stronger than every matchup he faces up against Gronkowski oh that robot that robot like, guy, yeah. Can't you imagine the Jacksonville, a.k.a. Saxonville, this whole thing? Like, they're going to be gearing up on two things. Sacking Tom Brady, or putting pressure on him, hitting him, getting him on the ground, whatever they can, and also stopping Gronk. And who does that open up? That opens up Lewis. And I think Burkhead might be back this week as well. I mean, those running backs at the Patriots, you got to be scared of them. They can do a lot of different things. Yeah, yeah. I, you, know, you don't want to get beat by Gronkowski, but it's a lot easier said than done, you know, shutting him down. Uh, so we'll, we'll see. We'll see if the Patriots just feed in the Rockwell game or if they, you know, just want to put the ball on the ground 50 times. Also keep an eye out. If the Patriots are losing at halftime, check that second half spread. Just saying. I'm going to leave it at that. All right, well, let me read Phil's pick because he kindly texted in a little blurb along with his pick. So he's not just, oh, he's not just thanks, saying, Phil. oh, I'll take this and I'm out. He says, just uh, uh, I guess I'll read his pick at the end. All right. Just, this, just like the Steelers look past the Jaguars, I think the Jaguars are ironically looking past the Patriots, as silly as that sounds. They are coming off too cocky and may not realize how hard it is to win in Foxborough in the middle of January. The Patriots won't make mistakes and will control the tempo of the game. My biggest factor here is Jalen Ramsey. He's an elite corner, but his skill sets don't match up here. If he's covering Brandon Cooks on the outside and neutralizes him, that's great. 
but there's games where Cooks isn't involved and doesn't affect the Pats one bit. I'll take the Patriots 31 over the Jaguars 17, laying the points. Well said, Phil. Well said. It's um, you know, it's it's tough having tough having the uh, a really lockdown corner against the Patriots because lockdown corners can't stop Gronk. You really need a bigger safety, you know, uh, linebacker type guy. And if you shut down Cooks, then you still got Amendola, you still got Hogan, you still got all the guys to throw the ball to. So I gotta agree there. I gotta agree. All right. Well. That's it on the Patriots. Looks like the three of us are on the Patriots again, so the three of us are on the same side on this one. But what's our general rule of thumb, Mike? What is it? So you don't bet against the Pats. You don't bet against the Warriors. There, so. there, there it is. And uh, you can bet against Even the Cavaliers, though, by the way. Also, uh, the Cavaliers, 10-point yeah. favorite against the Magic on Thursday night. They won by one point after being up 20 in the first half. I don't know what's going on there. I, you know, my boy LeBron... See, my, I break my thumb. I break my rule of thumb, but I betting against the Warriors in the finals every year because I just don't like the Warriors and I love LeBron. And I, I don't know what's going on there in Cleveland. Um, so it's going to be nice to see LeBron in, in a Knicks uniform next year. <laughs> but, you know, we'll, we'll touch that, uh, you know, maybe in the NBA offseason. Yeah, different topic, different day. Uh, that's for a slow news week in the middle of the summer. Um, yeah. <laughs> now moving on to the next game. So this game, we got home dogs again. And we know if we listen to Mike Palmisano last week, Something about home dogs that just doesn't smell right. I don't know if you feel that way again. And uh, if you'd like, I could go first because you went first last time. As sure, sure. Is that, is that good for you? All right. Yeah, perfect. Just to be, just to be fair. I like to be fair here. Um, Stern, Stern is fair. The way I'm looking at this game is tough. Because last week I, I, I almost reluctantly picked the Eagles with the points. And I think I'm doing it again. I'm doing it again, yeah. and this is why. The Vikings have some added pressure on them that they may have not had last week. Yes, they had a home game last week. Yes, that home crowd is dying for a, a home Super Bowl, right? Like, it would be the first time that in history crazy. that the Vikings, will, well, any team, will play a Super Bowl in their home stadium. It would be, be incredible for them. I don't know if the storybook is written that way this time. Case Keenum has really, really jazzed me up this year. And even though I liked the Saints last week, he jazzed me up again. But there was some sort of luck that I saw out of the Vikings last week that I can't bet on. I can't right-minded put my money on some fluke like that. And I know it happens, so it seems to happen so often that like some play like that happens and that team goes on a magical run and it's all over. That's because we don't remember the times when something magical happens and the teams end up losing. And I'm afraid the Eagles are actually going to shock the world as the home dogs think they're going to win outright. But I'll take the points to be sure because who knows if the Vikings pull off some other crazy, crazy come behind win. Maybe they'll actually hit a big field goal, but I'll take three points at home. Home dogs are mine. Uh, well said. Was that a was that a, a written monologue? That was Mm-mm. Steve Summers esque. I like that. Off the um, top. Yeah, no. Uh, so I agree with you. The uh, you know, there's a lot of times you see the storybook ending. Uh, it was you know the storybook middle, we'll call it, and, and you're like, oh, there's gonna be a magical ending. Um, but just look at my Yankees in the playoff run. You know, between the 
wild card game and the comeback in uh, Cleveland and the middle games against the Astros at home. You're like, oh, this team's destiny, you know? But sometimes the other teams just have a little more magic in them and they out magic, you know, the team you were for or the team that you think might make it. So that being said, uh, the Vikings are a nice, nice team. I like their defense. Uh, I don't think, and not to say that Nick Foles is more of a full quarterback than Case Keenan, but I just don't see it. I don't see it in him. Uh, and going into Philly, just like I said last week, just like I believe, you know, nine and a half out of ten times, being a home dog in this game, especially after proving everyone wrong last week, I think it's just, you know, adding to the disrespect to, on the Eagles. And, you know, you're giving them, uh, you know, that raucous crowd. Like, I knew a couple of my college buddies. They were at the game. They said it was the most exciting game in their life to date. And that's why I felt about the Yankees in the playoffs. Um, so now you have this new generation of, like, you know, when, when, when did the Eagles play the Patriots Super Bowl? 2003, 2004? Uh, so, so like, maybe a little bit later than maybe? that. I think it might have been 04, actually. Now I think about it. I, I'd have to okay. remember that. The, the Patriots I, won I in 04. Over a decade ago. Yeah, it was, it was at least 10 years ago. ago. Was it 07? No, 07 was when the Giants won. I don't know. 04 sounds right. Yeah. Yep. So before that. Yep. So we'll call it 10 plus years ago. So now you have this kind of blood hungry, you know, Super Bowl thirsty team that's, you know, a lot of adversity. We're out there, you know, they're sensational quarterback. They're, they're going to win. They're going to cover the three points. And it's going to be a, a, a rematch of the Patriots Eagles that we saw. Um, you know, in the beginning of Tom Brady's career. God damn and, it. We, we agree again, Mike. Know, what, the, what is this? Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Listen, if I'm wrong about the Eagles winning, you know, shame on me for, you know, being a little cocky here. But I definitely think they're going to cover the points. And like I said, just, you know, uh, if you had to pick uh, the Falcons and the Vikings, you know, I remember listening, saying, you know, the, the Falcons are going all the way. They beat the Vikings in Minnesota no matter what. So you're telling me that the Eagles will be able to beat the uh, Falcons at home? And now you have a team that, you know, are they much better than the Falcons? They're, they're probably a little better, you know, defensively. Offensively, you know, I'd take Matt Ryan and the Falcons over Case Keenum and the Vikings. You know, so I don't think the Eagles have a problem shutting them down. If they could, you know, get to maybe point mark, you know, Foles is settling in now. You know, get the game, get those jerseys out, no more fumbles, you know, keep the turnovers low, no more special team errors. You know, I think this is, you know, just, you know, the Eagles have, you know, could definitely win this game. I, I don't see why not. You know, I, especially at home, you know, where you usually tend to get a couple points. You know, I, I, I see, I see this, see me another game the Eagles could definitely win and, and ride right into the Super Bowl. I think if anything, they have a little, uh, you know, a little, oh, my quarterback got hurt. Where the underdogs now, they have that magic. I feel you, man. I, I find it, it's, it's hard for us to agree. Obviously, it's fun to kind of debate if we disagree, but. Like we did last week, me and you bet the four same games. We were three, three and one. So when you're right, you're right. Hopefully we will be again. Um, but like, how can you? Those are kind what, of, what do they say, Mike? You're pretty good with the numbers of, of Vegas and stuff like that. Don't they say a home game is usually worth two and a half or three points, right? Like you get two and a half or three just for being the home team. Yeah, you know, I'd say uh, probably you know a regular season game, and you're getting at least two points. You know, I guess you know uh, a cold game in in, uh, in Green Bay. You know, you can give that, you know, you know, especially against, like, a, a team that doesn't play too much in the cold. I guess you can give that maybe maybe two and a half points. But, you know, 
if you're thinking that a, a home playoff game in Philly is worth anywhere to two to three points, we'll, we'll just say we'll call it three points for the sake of you know argument here. That means if the Eagles are in in, in Minnesota, you're giving them you know six point underdogs. Right. And and, and you know. For me there, I think that's a different argument. I could see Minnesota at home, you know, with that indoor crowd. That could be, you know, definitely, you know. Minnesota indoors where the team's used to it, home field advantage. Six points is tough. I think I'm still taking the Eagles there, plus six. Yeah, uh, and part, yeah, part, of my reverse. Point, part of my point of bringing this up, too, is is this. So you said that exactly. You said exactly what I was thinking, right? So if this game was neutral, if this game was neutral site, actually, think about no, it's actually bigger than you would say. If this game was neutral site, it would be a six-point favorite for the Vikings. If it was in Minnesota, by this general rule of thumb, where three points for home, it would actually they'd be nine-point favorites, right? Because they're getting two and a half, three for being home. That would make it six. But if then Vikings get three for being home, that would make it nine. So it might actually be a bigger spread than we even think if it was in Minnesota. And and this is where it gets yeah, tricky. I I... So when you look at the the spreads, Patriots fourteen and a half last week, the Steelers seven point favorites, even the uh, Saints and Vikings was a five and a half point spread. You see three points and you go, that's not a lot. But then you have to remember that it is a lot. Three points can cover spreads Score. a lot, and especially in playoff games with two teams that don't have super dynamic offenses right now because of you know a lack of Carson Wentz and the Vikings have been. You know, a plus offense all year, but nothing nothing to write home about. Three points is actually a lot, and it's hard to wrap your head around it when you see seven-and-a-half-point spread in the Patriots game and 14 last week. Three's like, oh, three points? If I think the Vikings are going to win, I'll give it the three points. But you have to remember that these games go close, as you saw with the Saints and Vikings last week. Anything could happen. And last-minute field goal, it feels, like, it feels like the destiny. I don't know who's kicking it. I don't know who's winning it. If someone misses the field goal, I don't know. I see this game as a field goal game, and that's why I like the three points so much. And you say three points is a lot. You know, you got a team that misses a field goal. All of a sudden, it's you know, you have that kind of off offset. You know, teams are scoring back and forth, and now all of a sudden it's a one point game going into the last few minutes, and you know, game winning field goal could win it. You you go from, you know, overtime to potentially a, a push, and now all of a sudden three points is taking you over the hump, or vice versa. You know. If your team missed the field goal, all of a sudden you kick the game winner and you win by two, that three points, you know, laying the three, you know, that's not covering it for you. So, and you know, for a whole score in the playoffs, especially at home, you know, I take that. I take that, you know, especially with the Eagles, who I, I really like. I'm, you know, I was never a big Philly fan when I lived in Philly. Um, I hated the Flyers. Phillies I didn't like. Uh, the Eagles? Something about that team. I like the Eagles. I can root for the Eagles. Maybe because I'm not like a, a Giant fan, you know, so... Yeah, that's why I can give it to, the props to them. And the Eagles are a thousand percent little brother in Pennsylvania to the Steelers, so that makes sense. Uh, but let, let's read Phil's pick, and me quickly reading through it as you talk there, it kind of makes me wish Phil was on the pod with us because he would be challenging us a little bit. So let's go. This is from Phil, Phil DeMeo, co-founder of SportsBlogNewYork.com. Thanks, Phil. Quote, coming in as home dogs again, the Eagles look to define the odds and make it to the Super Bowl without Carson Wentz. The Nick Foles-led offense is coming off a 15-point outing against the Falcons, a far less superior defense than the Vikings, who own perhaps the best defense in football. The Eagles, and defensive, the Eagles' offensive and defensive line dominated the Falcons, but I think the Vikings' front seven will get to Foles and control this game. The, the Stephon Diggs walk-off becomes even more legendary 
as the Vikings have become the first team to play in a Super Bowl in their own damn building. He didn't say damn. Vikings 27, Eagles 23. Phil's laying the points even in the close game he expects. Phil's taking the Vikings. I'm curious to see if there's any team that's come within a championship game of playing at their home field. Because, like you said, that adds a little pressure. You know, uh, it's never been done before in the 52 years, 53, I don't know what we're up to now. 53, yeah, 50, yeah. 50, 53 years of, uh, of Super Bowls. I'm curious if there's any team that's gotten to the championship game with the Super Bowl a game way at, you know, at their own stadium. And, yeah, I know it's not going to be, uh, you know, they're not going to be able to blow the horn. It's going to be real neutral, but... You know, that place is going to be jam-packed. It's going to be jam-packed with Vikings fans. I could imagine um, Patriots fan travel. Patriots fans travel. So I, I, I could see that being like an electric atmosphere. Because you say, how say do the tickets pa- work? Um, I, they're pretty open. Like, they're hard They're hard to get and you got to pay. But with all these secondary market tickets now, you know, the Patriots fans are going to travel. They're going to be there. And that would even throw an extra wrinkle into that if it is Patriots versus Vikings. I'm going to throw a quick spin zone. Actually, at my at my pick and your pick, like at our own pick here. I was just saying on Twitter the other day. I was talking about um, the some rookies in the NBA. Uh, I started off with Lonzo Ball. I remember Kyle Kuzma, like Semi Ojale, like a, a bunch of these rookies who are playing uh, some good minutes. There's a trend with them. They happen to shoot much higher percentages on the road versus at home, and that reminds me of my uh, my buddy. Not my buddy. I've no, I've never met him before. Rick DiPietro, <laughs> Han Humpty. From uh, the Humpty Canty vehicle. So, Ricky yeah. Pietro always says, as a young player especially, and as a professional hockey player, he actually kind of preferred to play on the road. He kind of felt less pressure, not being you know, put on to perform in front of his home crowd where there's expectation and, and hype. He said he would rather silence a crowd than live up to the hype of a crowd that was behind him. And it always stuck with me when I heard that because it's kind of counterintuitive. You think the home crowd really gets people going. So spin zone here, we're talking about how the Vikings are losing the home field advantage. There is a chance because there's so much, you know, there's so much bad memories, so many bad memories for the Vikings missing a field goal, you know, against the Seahawks not too long ago. I know they did a little montage last week uh, during the Saints game of them missing late field goals or just missing playoff wins. Maybe if they weren't in Minnesota, which they're not, they feel less pressure and they play like they have nothing to lose and they can go into Philly and not be phased at all by the raucous home crowd. Oh, you say that. I don't know what to think. No, I, I, um, yeah, I, listen, I could I could see it going both ways. I just think, you know, uh, the in football, especially the home crowd, feed, the, the home team feeds off the home crowd. You know, like, you're hitting people and, uh, you know, it's you know, they, they play the third down music, and you know, like the Steelers, they have that Renegade song they play in the fourth quarter when the defense is good and you know not giving up 45 points. The you know, I, I like you know, I just I can see it being a close game. I, I like the Eagles here. I gotta say, you know, Phil, uh, thanks for your input, um, but you're wrong. So, <laughs> beep boop pop. Uh, so the way it works now, Phil heads right, so he can be. He can be either 0 for 2. No, I mean, I guess either way, we're going down or we're going up together, I guess. That's how, that's how it goes. So Phil has a way to hedge. 
Um, so he has the Patriots, so he can go one and one happily. But me and you, man, we're we're in this one together, and we could easily be full wrong. And Phil walks away with the win in Championship Weekend. How'd Phil do last week? Phil got one wrong. We because we all had we had three of the same picks, and he took the uh, he took the the Vikings. Did he take the Vikings? No, he took the Falcons. He had the Falcons. Sorry. He took the Jaguars, right? Yeah. No, no. He took the he took the Steelers too. So he went down with us. He was two and two. And you and I. Oh, were so, three so and we, one. we beat him last week. Yes, we did. But he has a chance good. to come back now. It's me and me and you versus Phil. I love it. Um, well, that's good. Yeah, I like, I like I like that handicap match. So that's it, man. That's the picks for the AFC and NFC championship. All three of us are on the Patriots. Me and Mike, you heard right here, we're on the Eagles getting the three points, and Phil is on the Vikings. Um, Sports Blog New York Podcast. Mike Palmazano, Pete Kennedy here, talking, chatting, some NFL picks. We only have one more week of picks, and we're gonna have to wait two weeks. Also. Quickly before we hop over to baseball, talk about these, uh, I think, exciting rule changes. I, I'm a little jazzed up by these rule changes. Uh, oh, sorry, Phil. Uh, sorry, Pete. I just burnt my hand on the hot stove. What? Are you, are you cooking right now? No, just, you know, this, this baseball hot stove is heating up a little bit. Oh, little bit. oh boy. The, the baseball, wait, does this count? Does rule does rule changes count as a hot stove? Uh, you know, I was – I. Uh, I was thinking about maybe like you know the Mets big moves this week on uh, Jay Bruce and and Agon, you know, and uh, the Garrett Cole trade, you know, the first two are maybe like simmer simmer stove moves, really on a low heat. Yeah, you're salt in the water. And then uh, you know, Garrett Cole was the uh, the big trade this week, and then you have the then you have these potential rule changes. So, you know, that's I guess a hot stove. It's just a it's, hot topic. It's something to talk about for sure. But wait, quickly. Since we have this two-week layoff now where uh, we have to wait, we have the stupid Pro Bowl in between, but we have two weeks till the Super Bowl. Are you one like me who gets, like, sick and tired of the first week coverage of the Super Bowl? Like, I don't want to hear any Super Bowl. Talk. I want to hear, like, a little bit on Monday, right? So you you recap the games that just happened, maybe a little bit of recapping on Tuesday, a little, little preview on Monday, Tuesday. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I don't want to hear anything because – the Super Bowl week media coverage is absurd. You hear more stories from more ex-players that you ever thought you could even intake. And this week beforehand, like, I don't need any of it. I don't want to hear it. Talk basketball, talk baseball. God damn it, let's talk some hockey, maybe. I don't know. Maybe I took that back. Huh. But do, do you, like me, ever get frustrated with Super Bowl coverage? It was. It's a shame because I used to love, um, you know, Mike Francesa was number one for a reason. And he would he would be the best at you know being able to fill a bus through through that week. And it was it was it was barely it was less Super Bowl talk, more just you know Francesa Super Bowl memoirs and you know having his guests on. And I you know I'm biased because it was him. Anything else? And especially this is the first year that you know I won't be able to listen to him. Um, yeah, you know I don't I don't like bland old football talk to begin with. So having a, a dead week of of four stories and, and, you know, just like you said, the, the old players coming on and giving, you know, hearing the you know, watching the same highlights of, of, uh, you know, Santonio Holmes catch. And, you know, I, I get sick of it. And, you know, maybe you don't get sick of David Tyree's catch. Um, I'm not, as, but how much can you say about well, it? You know, like, I feel like I'm not sick of it. Of course. Like it was a great freaking moment in my life, but like you say, oh, amazing catch! He put it on his damn head. Rodney Harrison was all over him, and then like, boom! Like, what else are you gonna say? <laughs> That's all yeah. I got. <laughs> it's just you know, you gotta hope that there's some other sport topics 
you know, head in, you know, head in the, the, the sports page. Otherwise, you're going to have to sit through it. Well, and, um, for me, it's easy because you know, like, I, got, I got NBA basketball, which doesn't sleep. So, Yeah, you know, uh, I'm going to have to start listening to NBA Outsiders. And, hey. Uh, you know, we're coming, we're actually, we're actually, your... I'm glad you brought that out. We're, we're coming back next week with some new episodes. We have uh, taken a little hiatus, regrouping, taking some feedback we got from our first handful of episodes. We're trying to you know, revamp, tighten everything up. We're coming back next week uh, with some content because it is that week we need to fill up in between Super Bowl. So maybe maybe you got uh, some good yeah. NBA outsiders coming your way. And you know what? Maybe um, maybe we do talk a little hockey. Uh, just a little live quick update. The Rangers uh, uh, beat the Buffalo Sabres 4-3 to at the Garden. So, hey, maybe we'll talk a little hockey that week. Yeah, maybe, uh, Joe, maybe Joe Calabrese. Maybe someone will. Maybe, maybe Corey, a uh, little Joe Calabrese Doesn't action Corey. on the podcast. Yeah, maybe. He talks about it all the time. Oh, my God. Follow him on Twitter. That's uh, You'll hear a lot of hockey. <laughs> uh, that's good stuff, though. All right, so let's get into this baseball stuff. That's a lot of NFL talk there. And now we have, like we mentioned, some very interesting rule changes. Let's start off with that. We'll uh, hop onto the Mets moves at the end here, but I think this is damn interesting. So the one I'm going to start off with is the pitch clock, because the whole thing with the mound visits, you know, now it's going to be a strict two per inning. Even like a catcher going out to talk to the mound counts as a visit. So if like Gary Sanchez goes to talk to Tanaka, and then a coach comes out, that's two. Boom, he's got to go. Right. So that's a, that's a, that's a rule change possibility that I think personally. When it happens, it'll be weird for a little bit, and we get used to it, and it's like we forget it ever was different, right? But this pitch clock thing is very different for baseball, way outside of the box, but I'm super intrigued. So the quick gist of it is that there is now going to be a 20-second pitch clock for the pitcher to start his motion to the plate. They say it can take up to 10 minutes of game time off a game. Big baseball guy, Mike. What do you think right. of this possible rule change here? You could you could say it's going to shave off twenty minutes of the game. It doesn't matter. You know, you either like baseball, you're going to sit down and watch it, or you, it's going to be a slow sport no matter what. And you know, I know we're in the new um, kind of day and age, where just everyone needs you know quick quick things going on. I, I you know as a diehard baseball fan, and listen, I'm I'm not so much of a purist. I I'm also the same person who thinks that the steroid users should be in the Hall of Fame. Shout out to that. I so, agree. You know, I'm I'm not uh you know, I'm not I'm not someone that needs every every rule and every, you know, baseball unwritten rule. I don't you know, I'm not all about that. I'm a, I'm for some advanced stats, you know, but you know, with these rules you're taking a lot of the fiber out of the game. You know, the replay started that and you know, we're kind of watching a game of baseball now where it's not bang, bang, play, watch the umpire, call him out of safe, react. It's bang, bang, play, watch the umpire, call him out of safe. Okay, we know a challenge is coming. Let's see what happens. You kind of ruin that sponta- spontaneity of the baseball game. Now you're going to try to implement a pitch clock, which, you know, I'm reading this Yahoo article. The, uh, article, wow. I'm not from Boston. This <laughs> Yahoo article. Could have fooled me. Uh, and... um you know, they want to use a 27-second pitch clock with the bases empty. And I can't tell with oh, – okay, so – The wording's a little weird, be, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, no, I, I'm reading now. I just got it. And whoever wrote this, you know, tidy up your grammar. Uh, it's <laughs> MLB intends to use a 20-second pitch clock with the bases empty. And according to the memo, with runners on, the pitch clock uh, will be shut off with runners with on base – 
um, which you, you need because if you have a pitch clock of 20 seconds, it's almost like jumping the snap count. Once it's three, two, one, a guy on first is, is going to start sprinting the first, uh, second base. You know, it's just you know, and you're changing the whole game. Then you know now you, now you're you know inadvertently just making up rules and allowing the game to be played different. I also don't like the fact that you can make rules and it only applies on one level of the sport. Just like the designated hitter. In all little league, high school, college, independent leagues, anywhere you go, is DH at your leisure. You know, you could still have the pitcher hit. The National League is the only league in all sports, in all baseball, that has the pitcher hit and is forced to hit. Now you're going to create, you know, automated replay that you already have. You're going to create pitch clocks. Like, this goal. What we do is in Major League Baseball. Like baseball is going to be different at the professional level than it is down the line, and that's going to be the only other sport you know that that does that. You know, every sport you could play ho- hockey, basketball, football. There's no other difference between the professional level and the the most amateur level or the little league level. So, if you're okay with changing the game like that, which I'm not, and once again, I'm not a purist, guys. I, you know, I don't care. Like, if you want to try to make like uh, you know, like the, the mound visits. Yeah, you know, the mound visits. I can maybe get on board with, you know, you had Gary Sanchez last year, which maybe due to a language barrier, I don't know, maybe just because he was using, you know, every second, you know, to talk with the pitcher, you know, that can maybe cut down a little bit. You could shave that off and you could tinker with that rule, but an actual pitch clock where the pitcher's got to step on the rubber and it's only shave off 10 minutes, 10 minutes. You know, is a lot. Is, That's a lot. But is that enough? Like for, to make someone who doesn't watch baseball, watch it. Like, Oh wow! Like now, l- listen, seven, wait. Like, at- I've been waiting to jump in. I think this is my time. Um, but first off, I want to ask you: Do you want me to get off my lawn? To get off your lawn or, or something? <laughs> well, am I am I giving you the uh, the Clint Eastwood here? <laughs> no, just uh, uh, I'm kind of messing around. But you know, you keep going on how like, you're not a purist and this and that and this and that. I-, I couldn't disagree with you more on this pitch count thing. I think this is a great idea. And, and this is why. I even think it could work with runners on base. So I'm going to go to that first because you brought that up. Just because the play clock in football is running down, does that automatically allow the defensive lineman to get a better jump than the offensive lineman? I, you know, so wait, I, wait, I was, wait. Was, hold was, on, hold on. So if there's a runner on first base and he sees that clock going down, you know, five, four, three, whatever it is, why can't that pitcher just pick off? Boom. It's like three, two, one. Runner starts going, pick off, gone. Like that, that becomes a bigger part of the game too. And now that, yeah, th- I, that throws okay, another so. wrinkle into it. And like you're saying, it's, it's changing the game. Also, baseball has as different at, uh, at other levels already. They've been, they've been trying out the pitch, cl- a pitch clock in the minor leagues. They've tried it out in spring training, I believe, as well. I mean, if you're talking about college and all these levels – I mean, in New York high school, New York City high school, you use wood bats, and then you go to college, you got to use metal bats again, and then you're back into the minor leagues, wood bats. I mean, and in other sports too. I mean, college has a different three-point line uh, than NBA basketball. They have a longer shot clock. The NFL has much smaller hashes than the college football game. Like, these little differences, they don't bother me at all. And I think it's not about getting some, some kid who never watched baseball, who never played baseball, to turn on a game and be like, oh, my God, I'm so engaged because it's moving so quick. That's not what it's about. It's about the people who play baseball, like baseball, root for a team, but turn on a game and then say, oh, my God, I've just been on my phone for the past two innings because there's been no action. Or I changed the channel halfway through because I was bored. If this just speeds up the, the, the pace of play, honestly, I don't really even care about the 10 minutes. 
if the game is three and a half hours, but it's moving quick and the game's exciting, 10 minutes on or off, it doesn't matter. If the game is moving and if that clock allows pitchers, I mean disallows pitchers to take their sweet-ass time or disallows hitters to, you know, come out and take five practice swings, I think that's a good thing. Like, I, I am all for that. I think you, you're the only sport, and what makes baseball so great, and I've said this once before, is that it's not your your square, you know, football, baseball, hockey, soccer, basketball. It's back and forth. There's offense, and there's defense. And uh, baseball, it's it's a totally different, and it's an untimed sport. There's just there's so many things built into the game of baseball that you really you know. You're, now you're adding these little games within the game, like pitch clock. You know that, you know, three two. You know, I I can't even fathom like having to be a runner on first base and have a pitch clock in mind. And like if it's counting down three two one, like okay, that's when I'm going to speed off. You know, like you're adding time into the game. That's what made baseball so great, in my opinion. And listen, as as the diehard baseball fan that I am, uh, I watch your game. I, wa- I hope games go five hours. You know, I I can watch I can watch the game no matter how long. But you, under, you understand that you're, you top. understand like that that's against the grain of the people they're trying to reach right now. Like they're not I, they're not worried about see, losing you. Like do do you think this is gonna affect you in such a way that you're gonna stop watching baseball as much? No, but I don't think it'll I don't think it'll attract as many fans as as they think it will because you know this this can't be replicated down the line. You know, like the. All the baseball fans I know have played Little League Baseball their whole lives. And most kids have played Little League Baseball their whole lives. That's the one common sport, you know. Maybe, you know, did you play Little League Baseball when you grew up? Uh, of course, man. Right? So, you know, that's as American as apple pie, in my opinion, you know. And when you get to a certain age, you play t-ball. Maybe, um, you know, you get to, like, a little uh, kid pitching, you know. Finally, you get to, like, that eight-year-old level. And then, you know, if you stop from there, it's fun. But you, you've played it, you know. Um, this is just a, you know, I could see you trying to stop the Gary Sanchez of the world going out there and talking to every pitcher because like, like in other sports, you can't call a timeout, you know, in between everything you got to kind of go on the fly, but having a pitch clock and, you know, putting the game on a timer is definitely taking out uh, one of the, the fabrics of what makes baseball like the most different and the best sport, you know, that there is, you know, it's just, I'm I'm going to, I'm going to throw out a pretty lazy analogy at you. Are you okay with that? Um, how lazy is it? Uh, one's lazy. No, and I'll, I'll, I'll decide how lazy it is. Once you, once you <laughs> give it to me. All right. So here you go. The NBA circa like 1970, maybe something 75. I forget. There was no three point line. Every shot was worth two or free throw worth one. That was the fabric of the game. How can a shot be worth three points? You're going to add an arbitrary line around the perimeter and it's going to be worth three points? Why? That, that, these, are, these are crazy. We're not even going to shoot them. We'll shoot like five a game. And now in the NBA, they shoot, the Rockets shoot 43 pointers a game. Almost half, I think half their shots are threes. That changed the fabric of the game. It changed what guards can do who can shoot. It changed spacing. It changed, it changed everything about offense and defense. Because before the three-point line, stack the paint. Don't let them get easy layups. Now there's this whole perimeter thing. It's like, i got to stop the three-pointer. And you don't think there were some, some basketball purists who were like, this is horrible. How can they put a three-point shot? And now look at the three-point shot. It's more ingrained in the game than about anything else. 
Uh, I'll give you my counter to that theory or that, uh, you know, that point or your lazy analogy. Um, on a scale of one to lazy, I'm probably give that a, uh, you know, my, like a, I'm not going to waste a sex joke at a 6.9. So <laughs> I'll give it a 6.8. Um, um, baseball has the shift now. And there are some baseball purists who believe that, that you should be locked in on your positions. And over the last decade or so, and actually, I feel like some teams are reverting back from it anyway. But the last, you know, decade, you know, the last, you know, 21st century, you've seen the shift more prevalent in the game than it's ever have been before. And that's the game evolving in itself. That hasn't, that wasn't a rule that needed to, you know, it was, it was just the creativity of, becoming smarter of coaches and, and, and analysts. Then you have, you know, from what went in the the twenty the mid 20th century of pitchers going, especially the early 20th century of pitchers, starters going the whole game. Now it's a bullpen game. You know, the game's evolving with itself. It doesn't need rules to evolve. And that's what, you know, once again, that makes baseball, you know, just a great sport is that, you know, the NBA with three-point line, maybe there was, the, you know, players that wanted to shoot that far. And I don't know, maybe you could maybe educate me a little bit on why they, they brought it in. Maybe they just wanted higher scoring games. Maybe it was just, you know, players are shooting like that. And I was like, why isn't this worth more? But with baseball, it's, you know, there were some things about the game that are changing that didn't need rules, such as, you know, with the shift and with both pens. And, and you know, maybe maybe there will be a, a DH in the National League one day. That would be a rule change I am for, you know. That would change the game, and that would make things totally different. I think the reason it's not is because there's a big union issue with it where it would, you know, take away a, you know, a, another hitter on rosters or, you know, it would change rosters a little bit. I think that's why they're not pushing as much. But digressing from there, I see what you're saying with three-point line in the NBA and rules in general. How and, and college football, the hash is a little wider. But you know, you're really this is changing the game at its core. You know, those that are kind of more. I don't want to say aesthetic, but, but they're just a little more of like. You know the game can still play the way it is. It's just a you know a little little change here. That's this pitch clock in baseball really rubbed me the wrong way. Really rubbed me the wrong way. I hear you, and I imagine a lot of people feel exactly how you feel about that. Um, so I mentioned about the whole. I think we should take a poll. I think I think we should take a poll. Maybe, maybe uh, you know Twitter poll would work too. But maybe this calls for a a um, middle of Manhattan stand around survey people. Hey. Do you watch baseball? No. Why not? It's too slow. If we shaved it off 10 minutes, would you watch it? I think you get a majority of people that say uh, no. And then I'll give you know I'll follow up with what you were saying because maybe it isn't just about the 10 minutes. Maybe that's just what they're estimating. Uh, if we increased rate of play with adding a pitch clock, uh, would you watch it? You think you'd get more people to say you know that would? Is that you know you no. really think so? Because I don't. I don't think so. But I, like I said, like I said, it's not about specifically attracting the new ones it's about keeping the ones who are on the fence the ones who now only follow baseball through box scores on their phone or through their fantasy baseball team or through literally the freaking espn updates they get about their team like i as a person who played baseball into half of my college career like i played 18 19 years of baseball like i have become a person who follows baseball through my phone and i'll catch a game here and there and i'm not super engaged so i'll just whatever and I think if – I don't know if this is going to affect me, like, specifically, but somebody who turn, who's one to turn on a game 
and then turn it off. It might keep them there a longer time. And that's what I think the goal is. But wait, hold on. So I mentioned how the rule with the, uh, the mound visits is a type of rule you can imagine. It goes down the first couple games. It's weird. Maybe uh, a coach makes a big mistake and has to take out a pitcher in the third inning by accident. Like maybe that happens, right? But I can imagine that being a rule where we look back in two years and just say, yeah, that's like, that's fine. That works. It, it Literally, don't even think about it anymore because it's so naturally part of the game. Do you think, with the pitch count, even with your skepticism, that that is something, the pitch clock, I should say, the pitch clock, do you think that's something you could look back at in three, four years and say, yep, that's it, that's part of the game? Or do you say, do you imagine yourself, if this continues over a couple of years, just still being like, ugh, this pitch count, just pitch clock really rubs me the wrong way, like still, in two or three years? If it changed the game in the way that I am nightmaring about, how it it creates a you know just this totally foreign uh you know thing you have to worry about i would really not like it um but reading the rule if it's you know 20 seconds on the mound uh and you know once you step on the rubber and then you start your wind up you know i know there are pitchers who take up to the 20 seconds you know the david prices of the world you know like they take forever and you know how much twenty? Maybe they'll use the twenty seconds. You know, like is it? Is that you know? I just I don't know. It it, it could be enforced in other ways. And you know, reading through this proposal, its pitchers would get a warning, and after the first warning, they'd be you know thrown out of the game or no, whatever. They get the a ball. They get a ball. Like, <laughs> Not thrown out of the game. Well, <laughs> well you know, they. I don't, you know, What's you know what are they gonna do? They're gonna charge him a ball. Right. Imagine you know, like a three, they, three two count. Three two count. Pitchers uh, in his in his stretch, getting the sign, shaking off, shaking off. A big moment. Tick tick yeah, tick, no. tick 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 tick. No, tick. and then Absolutely boom, not. automatic walk because he didn't get the pitch off in time. No, uh, <laughs> look at me. That would kill me, and that would drive me up the wall because that's not baseball. That now is not baseball. Young. Well, you know what? If your pitcher, and, if if that's the rule, and your pitcher can't get his damn pitch off, or his your catcher can't get the sign to the pitcher, he can't communicate well enough. That's that's got that's on them too. Like you know what I mean? It's gonna force pitchers, catchers, to be accountable. It's gonna force hitters to be accountable. If it if it if it's yeah, there when yeah, base runners know, are on base, base runners have to be accountable. Offense. I think this this boils down to an attempt of of giving the hitters uh, another advantage, knowing that you know the pitcher you know is if it's a slow working pitcher, he's not gonna have to speed up. And I, I know they want more offense, but. You, know, you already did it last year with juicing the balls. We've never seen more home runs. You know, like I think just for a little bit, let the game be. You know, like the, the last two postseasons and World Series have been amazing. You know, like baseball is, is you know worry about the talent, marketing players, and opposed to making these rules. You know, like there's so much up and coming talent. You know, the you know between the National League, you know, with the I could I could name ten guys who are still in their mid twenties who are just killing it, and for the next five years are going to be killing it. And there's a ton of rookies who aren't even 21, 22, 23. You know, they're, they're just coming up. You know, is Baseball, you know, since I've been watching, is probably has the most young talent that I can remember. And I think they have to, they should focus their attention on that opposed to pitch count rules. You know, that's just... I got you. Uh, I, I'm, I'm all for I, that. I'm all for marketing the players as best as possible. But wait, so now I'm going to ask you for one more grade. So let's grade Rob Manfred. Commissioner of MLB, 
Let's grade him on his quest for progress. What do you got? Uh, since he took over? Uh, kind of since he took over, but more in like the recent like year, two-year span. Um, you know, I, I guess I'll give him uh, a, a B. Give him a solid B. If he wasn't doing this pitch is clock, it? is it a B plus? No, I, you know what? Um, th- there's a lot of things that, uh, you know, with baseball that... Okay, you know what? Let's, okay. I'll give him a B plus. Uh, um, and this is just excluding this pitch clock thing because, you know, uh, I won't believe it until I see it. Not official yet. And when I, yeah, when, when I see it and it's really happening, boy, am I going to be upset. Uh, I, I like that he's, you know, he seems like a real progressive, a real, um, you know, boots on the ground type of commissioner where he wants to get things done and he's, you know, real transparent about what he wants to do. And every time I hear him speak, you know, and, and being interviewed, he really wants to take the game to the next level. It's not football, you know. Football has owns Sunday, and you know, with the exception of this year, the ratings are always skyrocketing. It's never going to be football, nor does it need to be football because you don't have only 17 games, 17 weeks to play with, you have, you know, a whole spring into summer, into the beginning of fall. You dominate half the year and you have 162 games. You know, there's a, you don't need to be the ratings king, but you have to keep the game on the trajectory it is. You have to keep marketing the young players. You know, the Cubs won the World Series in the first time in over a century. And I think that really boosted the, the uh, you know, baseball in 2016. And then 2017, you had just another fantastic World Series. The, the, the Dodgers, who were always a big draw. And the Astros, who, if you had the Yankees, you probably even had a mega draw. But Houston, you know, after Houston strong, and, you know, and everyone got talent. to see. Yeah, you know, everyone, now they're come back from being the team, losing 100, straight, 100 games, three straight seasons, was it? Mm-hmm. Going to the World Series in a three-year span, you know, that, that's pretty remarkable. It goes to show you that you know, baseball can be turned around real quick. You don't need a Browns or a Jets rebuild over a you know, decade's worth. Or, you, know, you, almost, you, almost, said, worth. you like, almost said a century. <laughs> well, it's close to it, right? It is damn it's close. close. Half century. Yeah. <laughs> the Jets have been looking for their, yeah, court, no. for their franchise quarterback for half a century. <laughs> Wait, but Mike, I'm going to throw you a bone here, though. Because, you know, I've been pushing back yes, on this please. whole rules thing. But throw your bone. The Yankees, single-handedly, if they are, you know, just close to as competitive as, as they should be and we think they will be, revitalize baseball by themselves. Like, they, they getting Giancarlo Stanton, and if Judge is still good, and Sanchez, I think, is possibly the best hitter out of all three of those guys, DD, and if Aaron Hicks is good again, and Tanaka, and Severino, if, all the, if the Yankees are good, Baseball will be live, and the Yankees will be the talk of the town. As much as it could, it hurts me a little bit to say that as like my inner Mets fan, but it's true. And for a baseball fan, even if you hate the Yankees, you should be excited because this is going to be electric this year if they are as close to as competitive as we think they could be. Just close. It's it's basically the the model built in football, where it's the Patriots versus everyone else. And the goal, I guess, everyone strives for, every team is to win the Super Bowl. But the last 
close to, and that's you know I, I can't believe it's been seven seasons. I hope it gets to ten years because we'll ne- like I said we'll never see like not in football, not in basketball. Well, yeah, I don't think I don't think the Warriors will get you know maybe this year and next year, but seven straight seasons with a salary cap of making it to your conference championship game is unbelievable. So with baseball getting the big bad wolf, the evil empire back, you know a team that. Everyone could kind of gang up on and hate. Yeah, I think that's good. I think you know, with the you know, teams will look forward to the Yankees coming into town and buying those tickets and selling out and rooting against and boom, the Yankees. You know, um, and I think it's cool that they didn't actually go buy their team. You know, they don't have a huge payroll, even though it's still over the luxury tax this past season and they're trying to get under. Listen, if they if they break it again, which I you know I like to see them reset that clock. Um, you know, they're still making a conscious effort to grow and develop young players. And they, you know, between having the biggest stars and one of the best farm systems, like, you're right. You know, they're probably the the model team right now in baseball. And they bring, you know, they're trying to bring it back between the home runs and the young stars and, you know, just the, everything going on in, in, in the pinstripes right now. It's, I got to say, for, at least for me, it's fun being a Yankee fan again. For sure, and uh, as much as like it's easy to point out the haters of the Yankees, we also gotta imagine the bandwagon Yankee fans because you know those people definitely exist. So it's gonna be fun for sure. It's gonna be fun. But Mike, uh, we're coming up on hour fifteen, so we gotta end up pretty damn soon. But you know what that means? All I'm, right, I'm gonna put you through the gauntlet right now. Yeah, I'm putting you through the MLB hot stove gauntlet. I got three questions for you. Um, pretty simple stuff about New York baseball. And uh, just give me, like, 30 seconds, top-line thoughts on these topics. And here's the first one. The Mets signed Jay Bruce. What do you think? Uh, absolute bargain. The guy, whether you like it or not, is going to be uh, your middle lineup bat, be consistent all year. Uh, he'll come up with some big hits. And for the price they got him at, I don't think you couldn't have re-signed him. And for some reason, he likes playing with the Mets. He was looking to come back and, uh, you know, I, I – as a Mets fan uh, who was looking for a, a free agent splash, you know, wasn't a cannonball splash, but you got a little splash. It was, it was a good signing. Um, and it's nice to see the Mets finally, you know, dish out a little money. You, you needed to do it. A great signing. Uh, a minus a- signing for the Mets. Nice. So it might have it been the, um, the old pencil jump into the pool. Not a big splash, but efficient. Yeah. Uh, you know what? We'll go with the, uh, the, uh, the jackhammer. All right. I'm with that. I'm with that. All right. Next one. Adrian Gonzalez seems to be now he's going to be shooed in as the Mets' first baseman, a position that they've been uh, looking to fill. A lot of injuries lately, and now the old vet Adrian Gonzalez is going to join the Mets as their first baseman. What do you think? Um, I don't not sold on Dominic Smith from what I saw at the end of the season last year. I know he was a coveted prospect, and the Mets kind of envisioned him as the future first baseman. So maybe he's got some growing to do. And as a Mets team, or seasoning, who, as if, if that's the word they use, by the way, he needs some more seasoning. Seasoning, okay. Um, who better to season underneath than one of the best first basemen of the last, you know, 10, 12 years or so? Uh, who Adrian Gonzalez, who had some really great years and was a great first baseman. Um, you're not paying much for him. If he can give you 250 and some power numbers, uh, you know, he's going to be more engaged. Uh, you know, the last season with the Dodgers, he was often on vacation during the World Series, clearly disengaged. Probably Almost when bitter. he got back from the Almost year, he lost his job. Uh, I think if he's engaged and he could, you know, just be a solid bat and play first base and 
help Dom Smith grow. I, once again, I think, you know, not a, not the move you really want, but a move that was made, and uh, you can't hate it. You can't love it. It's just, you know, it's a good move. It's a solid, solid move, I should say. And, you know, see how it pans out. Maybe he lasts to the season and tries to push him towards a wild card, or maybe he gets cut by, uh, you know, the deadline. Yeah, for sure. Who knows? Um, so it sounds like to me you're pretty lukewarm on the Mets. They're still simmering their their pot. Their pasta is going to be very. They need one more move. They need one more move. I, you know, I didn't like to see that Jason Kipnis deal got that axed by uh, front office. They probably could have. You know, if they got Kipnis, then then yeah, you know, those you know those two moves and the Gonzalez signing probably would have you know done the deal. But they they need one more bat and. They're not looking to trade. You know, not that they have anyone to trade. They don't really have a lot of prospects. They could use another arm of the bullpen. Um, you know, that's really another, you know, another bat, another arm of the bullpen. A little luck with health, and I think the Mets will kind of be able to bounce back a little bit. I like to hear it. So I'm going to read a quick tweet on the on uh, on the Mets real quick. Uh, I saw it today. It was pretty funny. I retweeted it from my Twitter at Kennedy Two Wise, uh, and it was a joke conversation between Sandy Alderson and uh, and Mr. Wilpon. So the conversation goes back and forth, starting with Alderson. So he goes, Kipnis? Wilpon, nope. Alderson, McCutcheon? Nuh-uh. Harrison? No. And then Alderson says, fed up. Why not just field a team of dogs? They're cheap, and people love them. And everybody laughs as Alderson sighs. And then Wilpon has a long pause, and he says, tell me more about this dog's plan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's just, I I, I read that they pay, I think, over a million dollars in, uh, you know, in debt each year or, you know, because of the whole, um, Ponzi scheme situation. Um, so it sucks that that had happened. Maybe, um, you know, you should have been a little more aware, but to be the owner of a supermarket team and not like a supermarket, like key food or, or you <laughs> stop, know, stop, and, stop shop. and shop. <laughs> yeah. It's like big market team. Um, uh, you got to be able to dish out a little bit. I know he made the Cespedes line a couple of years ago. Thank you. That, you know, that was needed for the Mets. Um, you know, go make some more, go make some more. All right. Uh, one more move. Last thing in the gauntlet. It's a two parter and, uh, let's make it a minute now since you got Am I two, answering two parts. You're answering, answering two parts, part two? two parts here, two pitchers that are not New York Yankees that almost were maybe, maybe almost Yankees. I don't even know who knows anymore. Uh, you Darvish and Garrett Cole, not New York Yankee pitchers. How do you feel? Uh, so technically, Garrett Cole was a New York Yankee pitcher, um, at least for a brief moment when he got drafted out of high school. And then he declined. Then he went on to college. And then he got drafted uh, by another team. So, Number um, one overall. Uh, yeah. So uh, I will say that I am happy that the Yankees and Brian Cashman didn't um, they, they, they didn't give up what the Pirates wanted for Garrett Cole. I think Brian Cashman has been too good of a GM the last few years where, where people, other GMs, are afraid of getting fleeced by him. So now any time that they have a big prospect or a big pitcher that they know especially could go to a rival with the Yankees, i.e. the Astros here, they were asking for the big prospects. They probably wanted you know, a Frazier, one of the infielders in Torres and or Andujar, and maybe even a pitcher, maybe Adams or Sheffield, a combination of those. And as Cashman, you're like, no, no way. These guys are close to MLB ready. I'm not giving them up. Like, you can have some of my second-tier prospects because right now Garrett Cole isn't selling that high. The Pirates saying, you know what? Uh, we're not doing this again. We're not, you know, we've seen teams around the league 
get fleeced. We're not doing it. We'll send them off to your rival team. It's, um, it's almost like, uh, you know, why would you ever trade with the Patriots? Like, why would you ever trade with Brian Cashman? I mean, his track record is just like he wins trades. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. No, and it started with the beauty trade, you know, and then it just was with the Cubs. And even though the Cubs won the World Series, it was just, you know, that was a, a beatdown. You know, and with the Reds, too, you know, I gave up three three bags of balls for Chapman during that whole, uh, you know, incident with him a couple off seasons ago. But I'll uh, move on to Darvish. Um, I believe it was kind of a, I don't know if it was a false rumor or how true the contract offer was, but uh, seven years in the 140 or 50, whatever they were going to offer him, I was panicking. I was like, no way. And I think if Darvish actually did get that, he would have accepted because you don't see pitchers get those seven-year deals worth 20-plus a year anymore. It just doesn't happen. With Except injuries. unless you're like Scherzer at 28, 29 years old. Um, and then with a the recent deal a couple of days ago, it was like five years at, um, you know, like $100 million or so. Even that, you know, I'm good on Darvish. I, I'm not looking to, you know, I'm not looking to sign him. I, I think the Yankees should stick where they are and maybe sign a depth pitcher. You know, you have like Alex Cobbs on the free agency, you know, the, Pitchers like that, just add another professional arm that you could go out there every day and go in with the idea that you're going to have six starting pitchers, assume one might get hurt or whatever the case is, and just have another depth pitcher. And then you work your, your minor league pitches up from there. Um, so concluding it, I'm happy they didn't get either Cole or Darvish. Well, you went you went over just a little bit, but that was a damn good answer. I, I agree. Uh, don't break the bank for something you don't specifically need. Uh, and it doesn't seem like they specifically need a huge contract with a guy who has had some arm injury issues, right? Like, so yeah, it makes sense for me too. I, I agree with you a lot there, Mike. So, Mike, I, I'll give you an A minus on the gauntlet. Oh, thank just, you. Just to give you something to strive for, I thought you did really good. That I mean, if I gave you an A on the first one, it's just like you know, I got I got to give you something to work for. I'll come back in with a with a, a C plus sneaker next time. That's it, man. Uh, All right. I, well, uh, I, I I don't have a gauntlet. For you, but I just want you know, as a Mets fan, your quick take on because um, I gave you mine. I didn't hear yours. Are there anything else that the Mets? You know, are you happy with the moves they made, or are you looking for more moves? Like quick, quick little uh, synopsis there. It, I'm mostly indifferent because I think Jay Bruce was a solid signing, like you stated, and I think Adrian Gonzalez for like, I'm, well, basically, I'm all about setting expectations, and I just never set my expectations to sign like a Mustakis or Hosmer or whoever was on the on the market, like. Lorenzo Cain, like, I never expected any of those guys to be Mets ever, not even for a second. So basically I'm just not disappointed by Jay Bruce and I'm not disappointed by Adrian Gonzalez. And that in a way is a win for me as a Mets fan. Cause like, I just didn't expect some extravagant signing, like some Mets fans I feel the same. crazily expected for some reason. Yeah. So that, that's where I stand. Um, but yeah, any last words for the podcast? Um, when we talk to you guys next week, we're going to be celebrating our 2-0 picks. And we're going to be in the depths of probably one of the two or three worst sports weeks of the year. So um, we'll try to have something for you guys. But, uh, yeah, you know, good luck, everyone. Let's let's hope the other money train keeps on rolling. I think next week's a great week to talk about a little Knicks action. Maybe, uh, like we said, we'll throw in a little hockey. But that's it. This is SBNY Podcast. I'm Pete Kennedy. I'm Mike Palmasano. You have a great day, my friends. Thank you for listening.